So, uh, uh, hi, it's Graham here. Sorry to interrupt your podcast listening like this, but uh, I wondered if you could do us a little favour. I haven't told Carol I'm going to do this, and frankly, I'm not sure she's going to find out. Let's maybe keep it that way, shall we? Uh, I don't think she listens to the podcast, so she won't hear that I've tacked this on to the beginning. But the European Security Blogger Awards, they're about to happen, and Smashing Security has been nominated in a couple of categories. Huzzah, huzzah! You can vote in the awards for your favourite security blogs and security podcasts, hint, hint, but you've only got a few days before the voting closes. So do it today. Do it now. Hit pause. Oh, not before I've told you the URL. It's smashingsecurity.com slash vote. That will redirect you through magic to the voting form. And, well, hey, made the best podcast co-hosted for the last six or so years by a Brit and a Canadian win. Um, yeah, over to you. Smashingsecurity.com slash vote. Thank you very much. We love you all, uh, at least the people who vote for us. Uh, but for now, back to your normal service. And uh, sorry about this interruption. Let me get my head around this. So there is this non-profit group called Cybersecurity Council of Germany, which isn't to be confused with the Cybersecurity Council of Germany. Exactly. Right. So <laughs> there's two of them. They have dashes in different places. So Protelion, they're members of the Cybersecurity Council in Germany mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. But they're not part of the Cybersecurity Council in Germany. No, no, don't get right. it confused with the Cybersecurity <laughs> Council of Germany. Uh, and and there's, there's this big wig who somehow set up the Cybersecurity Council of Germany, not to be confused with the Cybersecurity <laughs> Council of Germany. Um, who, Actually, I think he's part of both. This is very <laughs> Smashing Security, episode 294, The Virgin Train Swindler, Cyber Clowns, and AirTag Election Day Bargle, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, episode 294. I'm Graham Cluley. And I'm Carol Terrio. And who have we got joining us this week, Carol, on the show? We have the CEO of Run Zero, Chris Kirsch. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hello, and thanks for having me. Now, last time you were on, Chris, uh, you were the CEO of a differently named company. What's happened? <laughs> yeah. yeah, why did you lose your job, Chris? What happened? <laughs> it's always nice to have softball questions like, like that, right? <laughs> no, we changed the company name uh, from Rumble to Run Zero. Um, there is another company called Rumble that we, we thought would never you know, cross our paths because they're in a very different space and they decided to go public on the NASDAQ. So uh, uh, we decided to rename and we're now on Run Zero. So They yeah. were the right-wing porn video site or something, is that right? <laughs> or I, you didn't want to be associated with them? You said that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's business as usual for you guys other than the other name. Yes, uh, absolutely, yeah. And yeah. Run, Run Zero is a great name. Thank you, yeah. <laughs> It was bloody hard to find a good name. I actually wrote a blog post about that just for for any founders out there who want to, who are trying to figure out how to name their company. Um, you can find that up on our blog. Oh, links in the show notes. But you know what, boys? I think we digress. I think we need to kick the show off. But before we do that, we need to thank this week's sponsors, Bitwarden, Akamai, and Collide. It's their support that helps us give you the show for free. Now, coming up on today's show, Graham, what do you got? I'm going to ask the big question. The big question being, am I a bit of an arse? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, done. Okay, next. (laughs) What about you, Chris? I've got a new Cold War story for you. 
Ooh, okay, and with me, we are going to be jumping on the train and hoping it arrives on time. Plus, we have a featured interview with Patrick Sullivan. He is CTO of Security Strategy at Akamai. So all this and much more coming up on today's episode of Smashing Security. Now, chums, chums, I feel like I've already shot my load on this one, but I, uh, I'm going to ask the big question. Am I, no, am I a bit of an ass? Yes. I think I might be. I think, what do you mean, yes? <laughs> I'm just, I can't believe you've mentioned us and shooting your load at the same time. Oh, um, but you, I mean, Chris, you don't know me that well. I mean, you've just had me on the podcast. Do you think I'm a bit, you know, am I? I, I, <laughs> I do want to get invited back to the show. <laughs> Let's move on. Anyway, I'll, I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you a story about something that was happening to me a few years ago. A few years ago, I was living somewhere else, and I'd take the dog out for a walk. And, you know, there we go. love da You know, oh, it's wonderful. And I'd go past the village notice board, <laughs> mm-hmm. and there was something tacked onto the village notice board, which I didn't like. And I thought, oh, I thought, I don't like that. You're not going to tell us what it is? Well, all right, I'll tell you what it was. What it was was an invitation for people saying, are you interested in philosophy and economics? It said, okay. would you like to come along to a friendly get together where we'll have tea and coffee and cakes and we'll talk about philosophy and economics? Okay. Do they also serve Kool-Aid? Well, <laughs> well, well, exactly, Chris, exactly. I recognised what group had actually put ah, this together. Okay, it's not that all philosophers are Kool-Aid drinkers. Okay. Not necessarily, I was just making no. sure. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but I, I'd read a book back in the 1990s, written by a couple of investigative journalists, about this innocuous-sounding group, which claimed to be a school of economic science. And I, I didn't really like what I read. And I was reading this pamphlet on the notice board, and I thought, that's from this group. I thought, they're just claiming to be handing out orange juice and talking about philosophy, but I know it's saying, oh, so I thought, right, I'm going to take down that poster because I don't want anyone going along to that meeting. So I would take it off the notice board, right? And then I'd go by again a few days later with my dog, and the person had put up a new poster and stuck it on. Maybe they new <laughs> staples this time. And I think, right, I'm taking that down, right? So I'd rip it off, I'd shove it down the front of my trousers, and off I'd go on my, my dog walk. And I'd do this... Every few days, I'd see another one. So there was this there was this battle going on. So you're wondering, because you yes. were deciding for everybody else that this yeah. was inappropriate, and you were yes. taking it down, and it was obviously yes. pissing off the original person, and they didn't know why you were taking it down, because you hadn't contacted them to tell them anything. I hadn't, no, because I was scared. Okay, and you're asking if you're an ass, right? Is that, yes. is that the question? Okay, asking, okay, 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 yep, yep, yeah. carry on, carry on, yep. Well, that, well, so do you think I am or not? Graham, you're putting in us a very difficult position here. I purport to be a buddy pickle. of yours. Yes, this is the wrong show. <laughs> well, <Come on. laughs> yes, but as my buddy, you can tell me if I've been inappropriate. Anyway, I don't know whether I was right to do it or not. Yes, of course I was right to do it. But I was reminded of what I'd done when I read this story on Forbes this week about signs that some people had put up in their front gardens okay. and that evaporated, that disappeared. So we have to travel over to North America. Okay. Where there is apparently an affluent suburb northwest of Philadelphia, where hundreds of political campaign yard signs have been going missing. <laughs> People have their yard sign up in their front garden. We don't do it as much over here in the UK. I mean, we do a bit. 
But we do a bit, but we tend to put them inside windows because our houses are much closer to the roads and cities. Mm, certainly, yeah, you don't. Right? You yes. have a front lawn, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah or yeah. a very small one compared mm. to America. Yeah, but over there in this rather schmutzy neighborhood, mm-hmm. leafy. Yeah, it's it's probably delightful. <laughs> people are put out their little things saying who they want people to vote for. They go to bed, and it's still there. They wake up in the morning, it's gone. It's vanished. And some of the people who noticed that their signs had disappeared were contacting the cops to file a report, saying, hey, you know, wait, this thing has disappeared from my front lawn. And obviously the cops leap into action. Yeah. If you were a police officer, you'd be like, yes, yes. Okay, that is priority. <laughs> I have a few murders, but you know what? Let me put them on ice and I'll come and deal with this. We won't worry about the Philadelphia Strangler. <laughs> he's, 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 yeah. We're not going to worry about him. Or anything else that's going on. This is We're going to send some cars around. They fingerprint the place. <laughs> yeah, priority number one. We'll be there in five minutes. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, when people filed report, the cops said, oh, yeah, yeah, we know where they are. Oh. Yeah. What <laughs> you've got to do is go to the local strip mall, and you know where the nail bar is? Well, go behind the nail bar, and there you'll find this large dumpster. <laughs> and that's where all the signs are. Said the cops. Said the cops. They knew where they'd gone. Not because the cops had put them there, but because someone else had already found out about them. And this information went to 75-year-old Arlene Talley, who's a member of the Chester County Democratic Committee. She was interested as to what happened to the signs. She went to where the police said she found the dumpster and she found 118 stolen political signs. Hmm. All of them supporting Democratic candidates. Of course. All those you know, horrible progressive causes like reproductive rights and Black mm. Lives Matter. Oh, really offensive stuff, which you'd definitely want to clear up a sign if it was proposing that sort of, oh, goodness me. <laughs> anyway, so so all the signs, which were obviously, you know, sort of slightly left of, well, left of right. Um, now, how did the cops know they were there? Well, it's because one victim had had the foresight to attach a $30 Apple AirTag to their sign, perhaps realising... <laughs> there's the technology angle I was waiting. Right. Perhaps realising that they might be stolen. Yeah. So remember, I think it was last time I was on, I, I brought you the story of uh, how somebody yes. sent <laughs> a letter to uh, the German intelligence services and unmasked their location and like who was connected to whom and so yes. on. Right? <laughs> So I guess it works all around. <laughs> Look, That's right. But my yeah. question, though, is like, if the police knew that they were in that dumpster, why didn't they just hang out by the dumpster and wait for somebody to come by to drop them off? Because they're very busy dealing with the strangle. I mean, it's not their, obviously their top priority. Seriously, Chris, if you were in charge of the cops. They could have gotten their nails done at the nail salon at the same time. You know, like, it's not, it's not a hardship posting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And, and also, what's irritating about all this is the cops say, oh, yeah, we know where they are. They're in the dumpster on 49th and 50th or whatever, wherever it is. But then you have to go get them yourself. Yeah. Right? You're not... Well, you yeah. think you should send a squad of police cars, right? And how are they going to know who to deliver them <laughs> no, to? I just think they... Do they know who is behind it? They haven't found out yet. They are apparently examining CCTV footage, but so far it hasn't caught any of the troublemakers. Mm. They think... The police theory is it's mostly kids. As some homes also had their mailboxes damaged. I can't believe someone's Google Nest or whatever, you know, Amazon Ring doorbell didn't catch these idiots. Yeah. Well, it would it would be good if they had, wouldn't it? It'd be good if they had. So we're all familiar with this idea of air tags being used to help find lost items like bikes, lost luggage, 
and of course being used to track and stalk people or, or that story which Chris gave us before, an extraordinary story from Germany about finding out where <laughs> top secret apartments may actually be based. But, you know, these air tags can be used in all kinds of ways. So my son, it turns out, I didn't know this, my son has got an air tag. He's got it on his phone or his school bag or something. And um, so they built into air tags this means by which you, you can be warned if a tag is following you. Yeah. So if someone's planted one, so if someone's planted one in your car, for instance. Exactly. We've done mm -hmm. that story before yeah. as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then it'll go bleep, 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 bleep. Yeah. So I'm finding this really annoying because I'm obviously carting my son around all the time with his school bag, getting him right. to school or, you know, to his tutor or something. And all the time I'm getting these messages popping up on my phone saying, oh, there appears to be an air tag which is tracking you, it's been travelling around with you. It's mm. like, well, yeah, I know it's been, it, this is my, and I've got no way of saying, well, don't bug me about that one. Stop bleeping at me all the time. Because, oh, really? you see. No, there must be a way. There's going to be a listener who's going to get in touch. You could get an Android. <laughs> no, no, that is not the, that's not what you should do. Are you crazy? <laughs> I think you need to Google how to stop an air tag blinking at me. <sighs> I'm doing it right now for you. Right. Well, yeah. Well, it, yeah. go to oh, settings, right. Bluetooth, and turn Bluetooth on. Go to find my app, tap the me tab, turn on tracking notifications, and turn on airplane mode. Done. <laughs> oh. <laughs> all right. I'll give that a try in a bit. Yeah, just put your phone in airplane mode all the time. You'll also have fewer scam callers. You know? I do it. I do it a lot. <laughs> Melissa Schusterman, she is a state representative, hoping to be re-elected at next month's midterms. And right. she's one of those who had her sign stolen. She has said she's blaming it all on MAGA, make, a, make America gruesome again. Mm. She says, we will not let the radical MAGA right intimidate us. Double the amount of signs taken will go back up. Now, that seems to me like we could end up with an exponential rise of signs on people's front lawns if, if if this keeps on happening. And what I don't know what's going to happen with the dumpsters either, but it's just going to keep on and on. Yeah, but, you know, like you also took down that sign on the, you know, on yeah. the notice board all the time. So, I, I'm, you know, that seems like... We know what camp you're in, Graham. Escalation that doesn't help either side. Mm -hmm. Do you think they do you think they should have kept on putting up two signs for the cult up on the side <laughs> and then four just to keep me busy? Just make them really my trousers heavy. would be bulging from the number <laughs> I've stuffed into my pockets. You could have done two things, I think, that would have been better. One is right. you could have put up your own sign explaining what that sign meant mm -hmm. and what you why you thought it was a bad idea. Oh yeah. And gotten a little bit of controversy going on in town. Oh yeah. Right? Or you yeah, could have gone to the local newsletter, newspaper, whatever, and said, This is why I think this sign should be taken down. Oh. Yeah. You should have talked to yeah. me. Yeah, that's a great idea. Well, Thanks, Chris. But the, the real so question wise, Yeah, the real question though is like the UK is like the capital of the CCTV surveillance, you know, system. So yes. <laughs> I can't even find people who pick up signs all over the city and put it in a dumpster. Oh, this was in the US, right? I'm yes. This is great stuff for you to cut out of the podcast. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Just cut out all the stuff where it's a dumb stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> we do that with Carol every week. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> I am an arse, aren't I? Yes. Chris, what have you got for us this week? So, 
I live in the U.S., so it's not as close to me as it is to you, but there is this thing going on with Russia and Ukraine and everything right now. So, you know, like heard. things mm-hmm. have cooled mm-hmm. off a little bit with <laughs> Russia and they're not, you know, invited to the party anymore. And there have been some weird things happening in Germany. For example, like the, the German railway system was halted for three hours earlier this month uh, due to a failure of the digital train radio system. Yeah. They chalked that up as sabotage. And, you know, maybe that's Big Brother Boris uh, meddling with things, right? Just to set the scene for... Um, Oh, that Boris. That sorry, Boris. sorry. <laughs> when you're British. Yes. <laughs> we had a horrible flashback yeah. to another Boris. Like, oh. <laughs> Should we call him Ivan? Vlad? Yeah, anyway. Um, so the, the story I'd like to tell today is one about a German software company called Protelion. Mm-hmm. They're based in Berlin. They make all sorts of things like VPNs, endpoint security. I think they have a, a managed detection and response service. So kind of like finding anomalies on your network. And they're the the typical kind of like small or medium-sized German company selling German software to German enterprises and, you know, sometimes around the world. Mm -hmm. And so this German TV station looked at them. They had uh, like a a lead somewhere and they saw that the Protelion software was also sold by a company in Russia called Infotex. And so... They're like, hold on, this is a little weird. Like, shouldn't that be under sanctions? And, you know, is that still allowed? And Mm. so they wanted to phone them, but they thought, no, no, we'll just go by their offices and, you know, ask them in person, you know, tell them like, hey, the the Russians are, you know, have pirated your software. They're selling that in Russia and trying to figure out what's going on. So when they arrived at the offices in Berlin to warn them that their software was being sold in Russia... The Protelion doorbell says, please ring the bell for Infotex. So that's a bit weird. Oh, the name of the Russian company. <laughs> the name of the Russian company. <laughs> this is, I think, okay. another callback to the to the story I told last time. It's kind of yes. like, what is it with people who are trying to hide their tracks that they are in the same building and kind of like reference each, <laughs> each other's bell? Yeah. You know, I, you know tradecraft's really gone downhill. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, also what was weird is that if you look up the CEO of Protelion, he is uh, formerly the head of Infotex Germany. So, they actually just rebranded Infotex Germany as Protelion. Uh, You've got to be careful of these companies which rebrand themselves, don't you, Chris? (laughs) (laughs) There can be difficulties. Who knows what they might be hiding? Damn, I've been caught. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And and by the way, the, the German army was also in their building, in that same building, which is also a tad weird. So, it turns out Infotex is not reselling the German software. Infotex is the original equipment manufacturer of the Protelion software. It gets more interesting. Infotex also supplies the software to the FSB. And the Russian intelligence services also help develop the encryption algorithms for that software. Doesn't that make you feel warm and fuzzy? Hang on, but this is VPN software and endpoint security yep. software. Yeah. Is, is what we're talking about here. Excellent, right? Excellent. Awkward. Ex- yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. The founder of that company is actually an ex KGB officer. <laughs> of course he is. <laughs> <laughs> who, who recently got a medal from our friend Vlad. Oh, stop. Um, yeah. For, for uh, over 10 years of excellent services to the country. So. Um, this let, is another sticky pickle. Oh, my God. Yeah. There, there is so much more to unpack, though, Carol. 
So, okay, I'm listening. Okay, so Protelion is also a member of the, and repeat after me, Cybersicherheitsrat Deutschland e.V., so the Cybersecurity okay. Council of Germany. Okay, Cybersecurity Council of Germany. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's easy to repeat, yeah. So there, there is a Cybersecurity Council of Germany, Cybersicherheitsrat, which is part of the German Ministry of Defense, but it's not okay. that one. So we'll do a little pub quiz. Carol and Graham, you know, you're, you're used to pub quizzes, right? Like in the UK, yes. you ask, like, yeah, you know, yeah. who won the Eurovision Song Contest 1974 or something like that? Abba, Waterloo, at Brighton. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Wow. <laughs> I am impressed. So um, in, in Germany, our pub quizzes aren't as much fun. Like our pub quizzes are more like, <laughs> what does E dot V dot stand for? E dot V dot. Oh, this is part of their name. Part of their of the, name, of the yeah. Cyber Deutschland. Um, uh, I have does no it idea. Mean, does it mean not really, or we're, <laughs> we're actually Russian, or something like that? So, fake, fake. So it's the, um, it's, it, it means Eingetragener Verein, which means it's a non-profit, right? So it's not of the government. Today we learned. Good. Yeah. Ah. So it's actually a private lobbying group by the same name of the Cybersecurity Council of Germany as part of the Ministry of Defense. So no room for confusion at all there, right? Right. And they, yes, they're not taking advantage of that confusion either. No, 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 no they wouldn't. So, they wouldn't, right? so, of course so they Chris, wouldn't. Chris, when you had this sort of name dilemma yourself with your company, where your name was also being used by this company, you just changed your name. Whereas this organization <laughs> appears to almost be exploiting the fact. You might that say that. Have, yes, you might say mm, that. Right. <laughs> so... Um, this this lobbying group, uh, there's a few of those in, in, in Germany, and they typically include both vendors of security solutions and very large enterprises. And they kind of co uh, collaborate and they try to influence government legislation and hold events and all of that jazz. So um, same with this group here. Um, some of the very large German enterprises were in there. And uh, it's very hard, as you said, to distinguish the two cybersecurity councils of Germany yeah. for anybody in Germany or even abroad. Right. Especially because their founding president is a gentleman by the name of Arne Schönbohm. Now, Arne, he's the son of a German, former German minister, um, also coincidentally the uh, person who was the, the first commander who integrated the East German army into the West German army, the Bundeswehr. So, you know, somebody with, with a lot of political clout. And, yes. and former heist to Russia, maybe, I don't know. And, um, <laughs> so his son, Anna, is now the current chief of the BSI, which is the German intelligence agency for cybersecurity. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Right. The so, real BSI. The real yeah, the BSI. Real. Right. The BSI is quite respected, isn't it? I it mean, is. Yeah. Yes. It is respected. Like it's, it's a, you know, very decent agency and they collaborate a lot with industry and so on to keep industry safe and, you know, provide mm. guidelines and so on. So it's, it's a, you know, respectable agency. Uh, he himself, not so respected in the industry. Um, he's got no background in information security. Uh, to the point that he got dubbed as the cyber clown by German media. Oh, no. <laughs> so he's only there because his dad was powerful. I would think so, yes. And so, right. okay. so he founded this lobbying group. And um, then, you know, when it came out that, oh, Protelion had these ties to Russian intelligence, uh, 
he, you know, wrote a little note uh, to his employees at yeah. the BSI and said like, oh, any BSI employees shouldn't attend any events by the Cybersecurity Council. So he's trying to divide the group saying like, let's not intermingle. Let's not intermingle. And by the way, right. his, his uh, successor also was interviewed on, on TV that, uh, oh, you have to stay in touch with all of the relevant players in cybersecurity, and that includes the Russian and Chinese intelligence services. What? Which I thought was a little bit weird. Okay, let me get, let me get my head around this. So there is this non-profit group called Cybersecurity Council of Germany, which isn't to be confused with the Cybersecurity Council of Germany. Exactly. Right. So there's two of them. Yeah. They have dashes and in different places. So Protelion... Protelion, who clearly have Russian links and Russian intelligence services help develop their encryption algorithms and they supply software for the FSB, et cetera, et cetera. They're members of the Cybersecurity Council in Germany mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, But they're not part of the Cybersecurity Council in Germany. No, no, don't get right. confused with the Cybersecurity <laughs> Council in Germany. Uh, and and there's, there's this bigwig who's a, a clown who somehow set up the Cybersecurity Council of Germany, not to be confused with the Cybersecurity <laughs> Council of Germany. Um, who, who's, Actually, I think he's part of both. Oh, is he on both? Is he on both the side? This is very <laughs> so. It just what, what's go, what's going on here? What's the end game here? I, do you think, Chris? I don't know. I think it's um, it's uh, intelligence services. You know, obviously creating software that might be backdoored, might have weak uh, encryption algorithms, and so on. Right. So yeah. um, the the FBI is also investigating Infotex, and not just it's not just an issue in Germany. So this is actually should be relevant to a lot of your listeners. But mm. um, you know, more importantly, look at your vendors and and figure out if they are of good provenance. You know, um, yeah. maybe drive to their offices, look at the at the doorbell. <laughs> yeah, ring the doorbell, see do what your, it says. Yeah, do your supply chain due diligence. Yeah. Right? <laughs> And if you are a Russian company working undercover, you know, effectively not advertising the fact that you are a Russian company, perhaps, maybe maybe don't um, advertise it quite so brazenly and so incompetently. Yeah, it Doesn't was. Say a lot for their security, does it? Yeah. Their OPSEC is pretty bad. Their OPSEC was really, really bad. I mean, having th the same CEO of the German subsidiary, <laughs> you know, like it's it's just boggles my mind that that this really worked and by the way the the head of the bsi is now um probably getting fired uh, per a message of the german interior minister and um, so that's going to put an end to that so no more clownery in german uh, cyber uh, <laughs> uh, we found though we found uh, due to our recent politics that sometimes the replacement or incumbent can be uh I don't know what the word is. You have a point, Carol. You have a point. <laughs> yeah. Watch the space is maybe yeah. better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Carol, what do you have for us? <laughs> Wait, that's my bit. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Carol, what have you got for us this week? Okay, so we, we often talk about scammers breaking into computer systems by either using stolen credentials or social engineering tactics or taking advantage of, you know, vulnerabilities. But let's not forget about employees, some of which can get up to no good in plain sight and no one's the wiser. Meet Shahid Anwar. He is a 36-year-old from Rugby, England. And yes, that is apparently where the game of rugby was first conceived. How clever. So there's another little fact for you for your pub quizzes. 
And that is the sport where players get cauliflower ears. And I just wanted to give you a screenshot of a bunch of cauliflower ears in the notes. Yes, I was very much wondering what you were sending us here. They're pretty outrageous looking, aren't they? You'd think there'd be plastic surgery for something like that. Wow. It can be a pretty rough game. Yes. Yeah. Now, as far as I know, Shahid did not play rugby or have cauliflower ears. But <laughs> Okay, then why this intro, Carol? <laughs> I'm really curious. <laughs> <laughs> because he's from rugby. Because he lives wow. in the same town. Okay. Wow. You're wa- wow. Yes. You learned a lot of good facts when, you, when I put my stories together. You're very wow. welcome. And, and he was a customer resolution specialist within an agency within Virgin Trains. Customer resolution specialist. What? What does? That's a good job title. Yes. Does he just work in the complaints department? Is that what it means? <laughs> kind of. You might. Chris might not right. know this, but UK trains have a reputation of not always being on time. I have to say, when when Chris said that the German train system had been disrupted for three hours, I just thought <laughs> yeah. quite a good day. <laughs> yeah, not bad at all. I moved from Switzerland to the UK at one point, and I, I had lived up in the Alps, and we had a very good train system there. Then I moved to the UK, and I think the British rail system divides snow into four categories, and they can't operate in three of them. <laughs> if you think the snow's bad, just wait until leaves fall off trees. So do you want to take a guess at what percentage of trains are delayed in the UK? This is based on the last recorded six-month period. It's probably not as bad as we were saying. Don't come with facts. We like our stereotypes. I'm coming with facts. What do you think? What, what, what does delay actually mean? How do they define delay? They delay it by being a minute or more late. Oh, my God. I, I'm going to say 80%. <laughs> they, claim, they claim 25%, one in four. Yeah, right. And apparently, so I thought Chris is on the show. Let me just compare this to Germany, because in 2021, they were boasting like that 82% of their trains were uh, on time. But apparently, due to your crazy flooding and strikes Mm -hmm. and issues that you've had, your numbers are now in the same boat as ours this year. Don't come with facts. I love the stereotypes. (laughs) And because of these frequent delays in the UK, train services like Virgin Trains have a scheme available to offer commuters in the UK what they call a pay and delay scheme, which is a really weird name. But basically, it means that you can apply for refunds if a train is cancelled due to strikes or it's late or whatever. And according to money-saving experts, people are not actually applying for these refunds to the tune of £100 million. Mm. So back to Shahid. Now, Shahid, remember, works in the department. What department, Graham? Uh, the customer customer resolution Egg thingy. Customer resolution. Sir. Yes, that's where he works. And he's looking at all this stuff and looking at all this money oh that is goodness. not being claimed. This is and some, genius. And something that you may not know because I didn't share it, other than he lives in rugby, is that he's facing personal financial difficulty. Oh, so he's looking at all these cash, right? And because he works in customer resolution, he's all seeing that these legit claims are not being made. And maybe this is where he decides to do something about it. So this all kicks off in 2016. He starts submitting false refund claims. Hmm. 
Some of his tactics include creating photoshopped tickets. He created over a hundred PayPal accounts and multiple email aliases to manage this <laughs> racket. He managed to pull off more than 1,500 refunds by taking advantages of design weaknesses in the pay and delay scheme. Some were as small as £9.10. The biggest one I could see was £746. Wow. These were what he was able to claim. In all, he did this for three years and amassed £116,000 in this time. Oh, my goodness. And he was working on a further 50K at the time of his arrest. And apparently when arrested, he said he was so relieved to be finally arrested because he felt he'd gotten addicted to the swindle. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> two things which blew my mind, which I haven't mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> One is during this swindle, he actually left Virgin Train, so was no longer working within the department. Okay. But he carried on ripping them off. We didn't need to work yeah. with them anymore, I imagine. Yeah, he, he just could guess what trains were late. <laughs> what? He just would guess. He just would go, I know the train from Birmingham to London at this time is always late. I'm just going to submit a <laughs> refund request for it with a fake Photoshop ticket. Oh my goodness. That's ballsy. Two, okay. So I did the bit of the maths on the money, okay? So let me just get this out to you guys right now. So basically, let's say it's rounded to like you made about 100K in three years. So yeah. let's say like 33 a year. Mm -hmm. So two and a half K a month or about 600 a week, okay? Those are your numbers. So 600 a week. So one of his claims when he got arrested is what they were saying, well, what did you spend the money on? Train tickets. Mm -hmm. No, that would have been so good. <laughs> no, he spent it. On groceries, he claims. Cauliflower? Yes! That's how we get back to it. No, he, he spent it at his two preferred UK food stores, Graham, in the UK. 600 pounds a week for him and his wife to spend. Right, yeah. Can you guess what the two shops were? Waitrose, because that's yes. quite expensive. Yes. <laughs> Waitrose and Lidl. Aldi? <laughs> How did you guess? I, I can't believe you guessed. The second one is Iceland. Iceland. Same so kind of thing. I found that hilarious. Waitrose and like, yeah. you know, what was he buying those things for his other family members? We have the Iceland <laughs> stuff. We're getting the really nice rack of lamb and the... So Waitrose is high end and the other one is low end? Or Oh, like... yeah. Well, Iceland is considered maybe okay. more cost effective. Waitrose yeah. is lovely. You'll get a little thigh massage when you go in there. Yeah. It's gorgeous. And then a bill for 150 quid yeah, for a shop that should cost you 40. <laughs> but it is a lovely experience, right? Oh, yeah. It's gorgeous. <laughs> so so uh, Shahid has been lucky, however, because he got a suspended sentence. The judge was unhappy that he had been arrested in 2019, but only charged in 2022, which, you know, that's a long stress period for not knowing if you're going to be charged or not. Yeah, it's the pay and delay scheme. <laughs> <laughs> but and I wonder if the fact that he'd spent the money at supermarkets and that he was very apologetic rather than buying a flashy Maserati and a gold medallion worked in his favor as well. He helped the economy. He was leveling up. Exactly. So 
best takeaway here is if you are in the UK and you find yourself in a delayed and cancelled train, even if it's due to strikes, which we've had a lot of recently, go check up on how you can reclaim a refund. These details are in the episode webpage on Smashing Security. Because train fares are expensive. I mean, it costs a fortune yes. in this country to be transported like a piece of cattle. Yes! In cram- I mean, they wouldn't actually transport cattle in as <laughs> inhumane conditions as they do people on trains on this country. So... But yeah, it's um, it's it's yeah, exactly. good idea, good tip, Crow. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Every day, billions of people around the world connect with their favourite brands online through shopping, gaming, banking, learning, and more. Every second, the internet gets more chaotic, more cyber threats. Securing entire ecosystems, clouds, apps, APIs, and users that grows more complex, causing friction that slows innovation and hampers agility. With Akamai, cybersecurity can become an engine for innovation and growth. Whether you want to achieve unmatched security with Akamai's suite of app and API protection or embrace a zero-trust architecture, Akamai can help. With insights from the world's most distributed compute platform, Akamai delivers unique security research on the latest attacks and trends on everything from ransomware-as-a-service gangs like Conti, DDoS attacks, phishing attacks, to help you protect your business. Where else can you take advantage of insights from 7 trillion DNS queries per day? Learn more about Akamai and their security research. Visit their website, akamai.com slash smashing. That's A-K-A-M-A-I dot com slash smashing. Bitwarden's open source password manager that is trusted by millions of individuals, teams and organizations around the world has just announced its October release and it is chock full of goodies which include password-protected encrypted export, which allows you to export your vault in an encrypted format using the password of your choice. Plus, there's the mobile username generator. It's finally here. They also have DuckDuckGo email aliases available. And here's a little insider scoop for you. They're working with DuckDuckGo to get macOS browser integration in the forthcoming DuckDuckGo macOS browser. Want to try these features out? I don't blame you. Visit bitwarden.com forward slash smashing. That's bitwarden.com forward slash smashing. And thank you to Bitwarden for sponsoring the show. If you're considering a third-party audit like SOC 2 or ISO 27001, then you should be prepared to answer some tough questions about endpoint security. Auditors want to know that you have a system in place to monitor and maintain compliance across your fleet, which means showing that your staff are using things like disk encryption, screen locks, password managers. If you're not quite sure how you'd go about proving all that, then you need Collide. Collide's an endpoint security tool for Mac, Windows and Linux devices that gives you the visibility you need to meet your third-party and internal compliance goals. Best of all, Collide doesn't resort to spying on workers or locking down devices. Instead, it works with end users to resolve issues and relies on their cooperation and informed consent. You can meet your security goals and pass your audit without compromising on privacy. Visit collide.com slash smashing to find out how. If you follow that link, they'll also give you a goodie bag just for activating a free trial. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash smashing.
And welcome back. Can you join us at our favourite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses send the like. Could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they wish. It doesn't have to be security-related necessarily. Better not be. Well, my Pick of the Week this week is slightly security-related because that is allowed under the rules of Pick of the Week. Uh, doesn't doesn't have to be security-related. Oh, gosh. Just because I did it last week, honestly. I'm sure you've been following the Fat Bear Tournament, uh, the competition. Oh, hold on. Hold on, Graham. I, I thought we had a strict no-tautology rule on this podcast. <laughs> I'm throwing out really... Like fancy grammar, is it grammar terms? Oh, you, oh so you, right? you think saying fat bear is uh, saying fat bear? Yeah, is unnecessary. So I, we don't. I mean, there is a there is a bear week in Provincetown, Massachusetts. You know, oh. like you know, close to where I live. And do, do you know what they mean by bears? I do. <laughs> I married one. <laughs> is this is this big cuddly men with a beard? Big cuddly hairy men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go listen yeah. to Sticky Pickles so, last episode if uh, you want to learn more about them. <laughs> so it's a it's a it's an aesthetic. Um, it's one that escapes me a little bit, but it's an aesthetic and yeah, it's uh, gorgeous. Carol, thanks for saving the day. <laughs> I I am talking about real animals, that type of fat bear. That's what's kind of the grizzly. Is this because it's the it's because they're about to go into hibernation so they're all eating well, tons right now? Well, look, you know, obviously the bears are gorging around. They're finding any food they can they can get hold of. Um the ranger's not going to like it, but if they steal a little ham- I used to watch TV a lot. I used to watch Yogi Bear and Boo Boo. I know all about bears at Jellystone Park. Um and so oh I know I know the antics which they get up to and apparently the rangers at Katmai National Park and Reserve they have been holding for some years now Fat Bear Week where they uh try and work out what the most popular bear is and they've been running this online as well you can vote if you want a few Sundays ago there was uh, a semi-final round between a roly-poly bear uh which they've nicknamed Holly codename 435 uh, so they've all got numbers. And uh, there's also an airplane, airplane-sized bear called 747. And you had to decide which was your favourite fat bear. Now, you're wondering why am I mentioning this? Well, the reason why it came to my attention is there has been some election fraud going on. <laughs> oh, dear. There has. This is the word from Katmai National Park. They detected attempted election fraud in the poll between these two bears. They said that we have discarded the fake votes. So apparently they were avalanched with emails, lots and lots of emails (laughs) coming from several IP addresses, which were all voting for Bear 435, who did win, to her credit, in 2019, the Fat Bear Week uh, Championship. Yeah, but they said uh, no, no, no. A lot of these were actually fake votes. So someone has been trying to rig the fat bear competition, and I think that is a warning for all of us. Is there a prize? Do you get to ride the bear? No, no, uh, come on, win come or? on. Do you know what a bear is? You don't. <laughs> yes. Have you not seen that movie with Leonardo DiCaprio? You don't mess with a bear. <laughs> I I have stayed in Canada in on Vancouver Island, and the place I was at had a hot tub, and in right beside the hot tub was this long bear stick. 
that so if you're sitting there in the soup looking delicious like little dumplings for a bear you can try and poke it off with this stick it's ridiculous how did that work out for you is that how you met your husband <laughs> yes like, I, I, I lampooned a Please, great one no poking in the hot tub <laughs> I think we've had enough of that that's, that's like chris's type of bear i think anyway anyway they have now added a capture to their systems to try and weed out fake votes Capturing bears oh. in the wild. <laughs> oh God, another one to cut out. <laughs> anyway, I think I, I think uh, well done to that. I like the idea of them having this fat bear competition and uh, raising awareness of the bears. Um, it's a little bit of fun, but you know what? Why on earth was someone trying to rig the vote? What is going on? I wonder if any um, berry like men could could go there during this week and just wander around the park and try and get captured, you know, and actually have men compared, you know, versus bears. In it. I'm sure there's a website for that, Carol. I'm sure. <laughs> Rule <Yes>. 34. <laughs> Why is someone throwing all this spam at bears as well? What, what's going on? It's very, very strange. Anyway, <laughs> what's your pick of the week? All right. My pick of the week is uh, PimEyes.com. So some of you might know that I have like a an interest in, in OSINT, open source intelligence, which is basically, you know, using public sources to figure out stuff about companies, people, etc. And on, on Twitter, I saw somebody, you know, posting a list of, hey, here are some cool new OSINT sources. And Pim Eyes was one of them. And it's a reverse image search engine. So you can uh, put in a picture instead of you know typing out a term like you do on yeah. regular Google. Mm-hmm. Um, you put in a picture and then it shows you uh, you know other places where that picture is from or similar pictures and so on. And Pim Eyes has a particularly uh, particular flavor of uh, reverse image search, which includes uh, face recognition. So you can put in somebody's picture. And it'll find other pictures of the same person just through face oh recognition. Oh, my goodness. Are they using the Clearview AI to do this? Carol, you're not wrong. Like that, That's exactly the same kind of uh, application, right? Same kind of technology. And, and I actually tested that. And I tried to, you know, get onto the Clearview platform and I couldn't get in. So that was actually, you know, like reasonable protection. It's still, you know, concerning from a privacy perspective and so on. But at least it wasn't available to your average Joe. Now, Pim Eyes, on the other hand, is available to the average Joe at a bargain basement price. So um, I wanted to try out the platform. Uh, it's 30 bucks a month for the lowest tier. Uh, there's also like a free search, which means you only see like uh, other pictures, but you can't click through to the sources and they're only the face with everything else pixeled out. So um, I, I gave it a test drive and it works surprisingly well. Um, you can add one, two, or three pictures or more um, to improve the quality of the search. And then you get across the internet all publicly available pictures of that person. While you've been speaking, Chris, I have uploaded a picture, a face to it. Um, I chose the face of um, someone called Carol Terrio. So I've just <laughs> uploaded her picture. And it has found a number of other pictures of Carole and what was in, which I thought, well, maybe they've worked out that that is Carole Terrio in the picture. Maybe Mm -hmm. they've done with, and so they've then searched for Carole Terrio. But they've also found pictures of someone who looks very much like Carole Terrio. Mm -hmm. I have to. My doppelganger? She does look equally sarcastic in this photograph. I have to (laughs) say, she does look (laughs) very, very unimpressed. 
Um, uh, uh, it's quite extraordinary. I'll just put it in the show notes, Carol. There you are. That looks like you. I've just Googled. I don't know if you can see that, but there you are. Oh, yeah. it's coming. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Like Carol there. You can, you know, but. I need to find right. her. <laughs> I've also seen something which is tagged as a potentially explicit result. I can tell Pimeyes that most definitely is explicit. It's not potentially explicit. It's quite <laughs> revolting. <laughs> no, I'm not going to gonna, I'm not gonna share that one. Oh, my God. Anyway, but yeah, it's um, extraordinary. Also, I, I looked at some sites where they found somebody's picture, and it did not have the person's name on it. So that shows me that they really do face recognition and don't just pivot over the name that they might find somewhere. But it does also, mm. and you've just proven this, uh, Graham, it does also have quite a lot of uh, false positives. So mm. the further mm. down you get in the search, the, the probability of this being the same person goes down. And when you get towards the end, a lot of uh, adult sites and a lot of et cetera, right? Yeah. There's so many things that can go wrong with that technology. So for example, you, you might, as an employment screen, put somebody's... Um, LinkedIn picture in here, and yeah. you might find some false positives, right? Where you think, oh, this person had some other parts of their career that's not on LinkedIn. Or yeah. uh, you might find some revenge porn uh, yeah. out on, on, on different sites. That's become, unfortunately, very common now. And so, you know, just from a professional profile to going to false positives and real leaked nudes is, is very, very fast now. But also, if you think about a, a stalker just out in the public, if they snap a picture of somebody, that means that um, they can now probably find their Facebook pretty quickly and yeah. identify who that person is. And then, you know, that could increase stalking. Uh, on the flip side, you could also uh, take a picture of a stalker and identify who they are. Uh, you could also... Think of uh, Charlottesville, January 6th, you know, yeah, um, all of these events where people were trying to figure out who somebody is online. Uh, and often getting it wrong. And often getting it wrong. And then you know, vilifying like still, people. Even, even with that website, there is no guarantee that they will get it right because they're false positives. So there is also a whole lot of... And are they going to be held accountable if someone is misidentified uh, and there is some kind of weird and, that, and you go to them and they'll go, hey, it wasn't us. We just scraped the web. We're just providing this service with nothing to do with no, us. I'm, I'm sure they have plenty of disclaimers. But they're charging for that service. Yeah. 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 Anyway, yeah, I feel ishy about yeah. this. I think yeah, it's yeah. I think, well, it's the kind of thing you only really want people maybe in law enforcement to use and uh, with an understanding yeah. as to the consequence. I've just, I'm now searching for a photo of myself and I'm finding a, an alarming number of photos of me. Um, thankfully, I... Any naked? I, well, not yet. Because <laughs> <laughs> there is one that someone took under a toilet um, but, but stall let's, oh, once. Let's not talk... Oh. Maybe you should load up that picture yeah. and see if, you, see if it's online. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is... Now, Chris, I've, I've seen that there is the option to opt out, but in order to opt out, it says you have to upload a clear <laughs> photograph of your face, <laughs> so, which right. presumably they then Just... are going to add to their database. Yeah, yeah. I... And not let you see it. <laughs> <laughs> and... Yeah. Oh. Well, thanks for that pick of the week, buddy. Blimey. Carol, what's your pick of the week? 
I have a spooky pick of the week in honor of our upcoming Halloween season. Now, before I get to that, have either of you ever seen the original Exorcist? No. From 1973? I'm not good with scary movies. No? God, it is extremely scary. And it was directed by crazy director William Friedkin and written for the screen by William Peter Blatty, who actually also wrote the book. So if you don't like scary movies, maybe you like scary books, 1971 Exorcist, hmm. the book. I watched it when I was quite young and you I had nightmares for weeks afterwards. The little girl that's fully under the control of evil forces haunted me. It was awful, but I, it stayed with me. It's like considered, I think one of the scariest. You've, nev- I've you've never been the same, have you? It scarred you. <laughs> now, English film critic um, acclaimed Mark Kermode has named The Exorcist his favorite film of all mm. time. Now, my pick of the week is not The Exorcist, but Mark Kermode's 1998 documentary on the movie, which has been re-released on iPlayer in full. Hmm. And it's called The Fear of God, 25 Years of The Exorcist. What is iPlayer? iPlayer is kind of uh, kind of like like Netflix, but for BBC ah, programs. Okay. Is it available internationally? Do you know? There are ways of accessing it. I mean, obviously, <laughs> who wouldn't oh, know is, what they might be? This great German company <laughs> called Portalion yeah. that yes. offers a VPN service That's that right. might be able to help with that. Yes. <laughs> now, I just watched this documentary. All I can say is flip and heck. Like, A, it is a top, top, top documentary with jaw-dropping moments. Like, the amount of information that Kermode was able to get out of all the interviewees is gobsmacking. And he manages to interview almost everyone who is either directing, writing, or acting in the film, including an actual priest (laughs) who is based in New York. Now, I know you guys haven't seen the film, but... They've, there's a lot of words like I've read and heard about how this movie was cursed, right? Which mm. is great kind of PR for the film itself to mm. think that. But after you watch this documentary, you sure as heck believe it. Okay, a few things I will cover without ruining the the, the documentary is that, of course, because this was filmed way back in, when was it? Uh, 73? 1970, yeah, about then, I think. Yeah. 73, right? There's a lot of stunts. There's a lot of things that happen in the film, right? And they're obviously not digital. And... We, you have the person explain how we decided to do the stunts. And he had to just create and rig up these insane contraptions to throw people around or, you know, to yank them or bounce them or topple them over. And it's so disgusting how little care was, was given to the young, especially the mm. young girl who's playing the, the main girl in it. So um, I, think I've seen, I think I've seen a documentary about The Exorcist before. It may even be this one that I saw. It was quite some time ago. And... We, the director was bonkers, wasn't he? Yes. Yes. Friedkin comes across as extremely bonkers. Now, he's quite respected. He did The French yeah. Connection, a very, yeah. you know, big, acclaimed film. There was a lot of deaths let on set during the production, like way, 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 mm. way, way too many to consider anything close that could normally happen in any kind of situation. Well, people died while they were making the movie. Yes. And more than one, like many more than one. And Kermode goes through them all and explains what happened as far as they know. <laughs> yeah. Friedkin and the writer are both really intense and passionate people. And they come across as people that would stop at nothing to get what they wanted. And that's the problem is that everyone else paid the price and he goes down in in the Hall of Fame because now it's an acclaimed film. Anyway, the documentary is just astounding. I love, 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 loved it. 
Um, so I would recommend that you try and watch The Exorcist first before you watch the documentary to get a better sense of everything, if you can. But it is scary. Um, but the documentary, again, is The Fear of God, 25 Years of the Exorcist, currently available on BBC iPlayer and maybe even available for sale in other places. Um, but that is my spooky pick of the week. Cool. Oh, thank you very much, Crow. Now, you've been chatting to the folks at Akamai this week, haven't you? Yeah, I spoke with Patrick. Great interview. We talk all about retail and bots and what you can do to stop them. Check it out. Well, listeners, today we have Patrick Sullivan. He is CTO of security strategy at tech giant Akamai. Now, Patrick has nearly 30 years of tech experience under his belt and is also a bot expert. And he's going to help us understand how retailers, as they gear up for the holiday season, can better thwart the bot problem. Patrick, first, welcome to Smashing Security. Delighted you're here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Fantastic. Now, honestly, I have never thought about bots in terms of the retail industry. It's because I've never worked in it, I guess. And I know that Akamai has done a glut of research on this uh, last year. But first, I thought maybe you could just define what a bot is. I mean, are they inherently bad? Just to, for us to all visualize it. Yeah, that, that's a great question. So the, uh, you know, a, a bot is just a, a bit of automation that's performing a task on behalf of the bot operator. And the bots themselves, obviously, uh, they're not benevolent or malevolent by nature. They really kind of take on the motivation of the operator, right? So it's really the humans that kind of define the, the motivation. And, and to your point, we see, you know, very benevolent, you know, bots that help us crawl the web to, to search out. And when we you know commit a search, it helps us find a relevant web page, right? Right. Uh, I know on, on one of your shows, you mentioned, uh, you know, people leveraging bots to thwart fraudsters, uh, you know, coming to, to dating sites and that type of thing. Yeah, it was a few weeks ago. Yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, you know, we see them leverage pretty heavily for fraud. Unfortunately, they're part of the toolkit for fraudsters. And then between those two extremes, there's uh, a whole kaleidoscope of you know, shades of gray that are maybe not 100% good or 100% bad. It's a matter of perspective, some, somewhere in between. Do we have any idea about how many bots are out there and, uh, versus people? Is that a, even a question I can ask in terms of like legit accounts? It is. So we see, you know, on a daily basis, we're seeing about 40 billion requests from bots. So Whoa. it's uh, <laughs> the good news is, you know, that that's a staggering total, but but that's still you know, a minority request. Most uh, interactions are, are still driven by human beings, you know, on their phones all day or, or you know, on their laptop. Uh, but it's, that is a, a massive volume for website operators to deal with. Absolutely. Okay. So now we know how these things can be used. Maybe you can share some of the research findings that Akamai were able to sniff out when their research and just help us understand what retailers are facing in this space. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a lot of areas when you're sort of deep into the domain, you know, there are people that live near the Arctic Circle that have dozens of names mm -hmm. for snow to describe sort of the different uh, consistencies. It's very similar with bots. We've got all kinds of different names for various 
uh, types of bots, but maybe in retail, there's probably three big categories we could talk about. You know, one would be scrapers that are coming through and uh, pulling down all the information from the site. Uh, there's a category of bots uh, that are really heavily uh, focused on fraud. So there we see uh, account takeover uh, as an area of focus. Mm. And then maybe the one that's most visible to sort of the casual web user is what we would call inventory grabbing bots. And and you're confronted with these bots when you try to purchase anything online uh, where the inventory is limited, right? So if you're trying to buy concert tickets right. or uh, you know a fancy pair of shoes or a handbag or these days even much more mundane things, you know in the physical world when uh, demand exceeds supply you get a queue. In the online world, uh, when that phenomenon of of demand exceeds supply, you get bots and sort of an arms race to uh, to see who can consume that inventory most quickly. So what would happen in that instance would be, I'd be trying to get my hands on this ticket. The be- the bot would beat me and get there first. And then what, try and resell them to me at a premium price, perhaps? Or I would be more motivated to pay more because there's no supply anymore? Uh, correct. So so the, uh, you know, right. there are entire industries. You know, there are people that operate these bots that, that go to work in an office every day. Uh, but if you think about sort of the arbitrage opportunity for sneakers, that's probably the most visible. Uh, there are really, really limited inventory uh, extremely popular sneakers. And if, if you're able to buy them from the retailer, you can instantly sell those on an exchange at a massive markup. Right. So this annoys the retailers, of course, but it also annoys the consumer because they've got to shell out a lot more cash to get their, you know, their kids that special Christmas present that they're looking for this year. That's right. Yeah. So, so it does impact uh, the 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 consumer experience. And, and you're exactly right. The, the retailers care deeply about this, right? I mean, obviously, either way, they're, they're making a, a sale at, at the full price, whether it's a bot or a consumer. But within the retailers, there are uh, some of the, the brightest people in security focused on thwarting these bots and, and helping to ensure that a human being has the best shot possible of buying that. One of their legitimate, loyal consumers, that's who they want to be able to purchase these things. They, they really don't want to see this secondary market uh, where their loyal customers have a bad experience. That's the worst thing possible for a retailer. Yeah, of course. And of course, brand reputation might be impacted there as well, of course. Okay. Okay. I think I've got the picture now. So this is Cybersecurity Month. We're still in October. And maybe we need to go down the route of what people can do to try and fix this. So should we start with retailers in terms of them and what how they can help manage this? Absolutely. So, so I think what we're confronting here is, you know, a very determined uh, adversary. These bot operators that are very well re- resourced, right? I mean, we we kind of touched on the profit motive. So, so there are very very clever people building these bots. So, uh, to your point, if you're operating a, a website, you know, there's a couple steps that you need to do. I mean, first and foremost, you need to be able to detect: is this a, a human being or is this a bot on the other end? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of technology that that we've developed over the years here. Everything from you know, looking at passive data uh, to active detections of, you know, is the uh, the physics of the way the keyboard is being used and the, the mouse, the way that the phone is being oriented, you know, does that appear to be human as we model that? Or does that appear to be, you know, automation, right? So, so there's a lot of work there in te- detection. And then the next step is categorizing, right? We've talked about all these different types of bots. Obviously, you want your your Google bot, you know, that's searching the site to get right through to, to help your search rankings. Uh, the fraudsters, you want to deceive them, maybe send them a misleading message, uh, but you could block them if you wish. Mm-hmm. And then the gray bots, um, 
you know, we see things like airlines where every bot that comes in costs them a little bit of money because they have to go have a paid query to a reservation system. So maybe there you serve them some information that's slightly stale, so you don't incur the cost, but the the bot gets what they want as well. Uh, you know, so, so you think about sort of that detection, categorization, and then have a, a menu of responses available to you. <laughs> so you actually use subterfuge basically with gray bots. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, and uh, I, I think for the the really malicious bots, you really want to confuse them, right? So a lot of what they're doing is they're they're testing uh, credentials to see if they can take over somebody's account. So if you detect that it's a bot, even if they put in the correct credentials for for one of your users, you don't want to to tell them, you know, that we're blocking you, you would just say, these credentials don't work. You give them the exact same message that you would give them if if the, the credentials were invalid, right, to confuse them. Yeah, so you're trying to waste their time a bit so they don't just create a new account and go attack in a different way. Correct. And and also, maybe you can drive up their costs. There are things that you can do that, that will cause them to burn more CPU and memory to drive up their cost. Uh, and frustrate them further, right? Maybe they would go to another site that's less expensive for them. If they're operating these botnets at the scale of millions of requests and you're causing their compute costs to go up a bit, uh, you know that may be the most damaging thing you can do to them because it gets to the, the economics of, of what they're trying to pull off. And so, and customers that have, uh, that are working with Akamai in order to detect these bots and to categorize them to allow the good ones in and to thwart off the bad ones and to kind of obfuscate the gray ones so that they run around chasing their tails. Are they seeing cost savings? Are they seeing streamlining? Because it's such a big deal. They're seeing huge advantages. Yeah, there, there's, uh, I mean, obviously, the it starts with the, the user experience that you touched on, right? You, you know, you, you want to make sure that your legitimate, loyal customers have the best possible experience online. That's vital for a retailer. Uh, but certainly there are IT cost savings. You know, if, mm-hmm. uh, if you're having to kind of fight the bots, uh, you know, a human defender versus a manual bot, that's really expensive because it takes a lot of humans, you know, so there are costs there. Uh, but, but you know, like the for a busy period, like, uh, you know, if you're having a limited inventory launch or, or if it's, you know, the peak sales period around uh, Cyber Monday. Yeah, Christmas, which is yeah, coming. Yeah. yeah. The last thing you want is, uh, you know, a crush of humans and bots to bring your site down, right? I mean, uh, so obviously if you can, uh, pull these bots out of the uh, that, that demand cycle, and it's it's not uh, consuming resource within your data center or your cloud compute. Uh, that ensures uh, uptime and, and good experience for your legitimate users. And is there any way for retailers who um, not sure they have a bot problem? Like, is it really clear when they have one, or can it be so uh, sneaky that it can actually bypass them and they have no idea? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we often see this phenomenon where, uh, you know, a very clever uh, bot operator can operate for a long period of time without being detected. And then Mm -hmm. often you'll get a maybe more of a clumsy bot operator that comes in and they're extremely noisy and they're impacting the availability of the site. So we go in there and, and, you know, targeting the very noisy bot. But then once you have kind of the precision tools to look, you'll see under the covers, hey, there was, you know, several other operators that have been visiting your site and and conducting bot activity uh, below the noise floor for some period of time, right? And those are, you know, typically more sophisticated, more of a cause for concern than the, the really noisy uh, bots that are out there. So that happens all the time uh, where it will be sort of below yeah. the radar. 
Now, and what about consumers? So, you know, I, you know, a lot of people are going to be spending hundreds, if not thousands in the new holiday, if they've got the spare cash to buy a gift for their loved ones. Um, how do they avoid getting into a tangle where they lose out on something that they really need or want to get? You know, one of the things we touched on briefly was the the fraud use of these bots, right? And we call that credential stuffing, where basically, you know, you have an engine that's that's these you know, bots that somebody either rents or, or buys or they build themselves. And then the fuel for that engine is, is sort of um, credentials from breach sites. So everybody listening today has has seen, you know, some site that they visit and establish a login get breached, mm. you know, over the last eight, nine years. Well, what happens is those credentials on those sites are resold, right? So there are uh, researchers say there's about 25 billion credentials up for sale that you can go purchase. And then, you know, that becomes the fuel for these bots where they just test those credentials to see if people have reused their credentials from one site to the next. Mm. Uh, so the probably the primary thing that uh, that we can do as consumers is to use a unique password for every site, right? That that will really limit your exposure to, you know, somebody breaching one site that you visit and then attempting that same credential pair across every other site on the internet, uh, you know, billions of times a day. And then, you know, to help facilitate that, you know, a password manager could be helpful. Uh, there are a number of things you can do there. Avail yourself of, of MFA if that's an option on the site. All of those things make it more difficult. But if there's one takeaway, it would be, uh, I know password hygiene is is uh, is annoying, but unique passwords are, are probably the, the number one thing that, that we could do to, to thwart uh, kind of the mass scale automated credential stuffing that we see out there. Yeah, fantastic. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we close, Patrick? No, I, I think that was, uh, you know, sort of the the key piece. I mean, I, I would say, you know, it may be frustrating as a consumer, you know, when you're impacted by uh, by these bots when you're trying to to purchase an inventory. But uh, I can assure you, there are people working very hard at retailers to to try to give, you know, humans their very best shot at at purchasing, you know, these things. It's it's not a a cynical effort on the part of the retailers are working very hard to to give humans their very best shot, uh, you know, relative to these bots that are out there. Amazing. Now, listeners, especially those of you in the retail space, I am sure you want to learn more about Akamai and their security research and their services. And you can do this for free by visiting akamai.com forward slash smashing. That's akamai, A-K-A-M-A-I.com slash smashing. And Patrick Sullivan, CTO of Security Strategy at Akamai, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us. Thank you. Great stuff. And that just about wraps up the show for this week. Chris, I'm sure lots of our listeners would love to follow you online and find out what your company is up to. What's the best way for folks to do that? So if you want to follow me personally, Chris underscore Kirsch on Twitter and uh, runzero.com if you want to uh, check out the cyber asset management solution. We have a free version for companies under 256 assets. So check that out. Thank you. Super duper. And you can follow us on Twitter at Smash Insecurity. No G, Twitter and Mouse to have a G. And we also have a Smash Insecurity subreddit. And don't forget to ensure you never miss another episode. Follow Smash Insecurity in your favorite podcast app, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And massive shout out to this episode's sponsors, Bitwarden, Akamai, and Collide. And of course, to our wonderful Patreon community. It's thanks to them all. This show is free. For episode show notes, sponsorship info, guest lists, and the entire back catalog of more than 293 episodes, check out smashingsecurity.com. Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs>
know how you were looking at that, what was it called, Pim Eyes or whatever it was? Yeah, yeah. Um, and you were looking at pictures of me, and then you made yeah. a comment that there was something really naked and nudie. Can you just confirm it was not me? Oh, yeah, it wasn't you, Carol. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's a bit difficult to tell. Graham. From that angle. <laughs> Graham. It was yeah. categorically not me. It categorically was not you. No, yes. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. Thank yeah. you very much. Just yeah. just distress. Yeah. Just making yeah. underlining and bold. And it's neither was it me, because it, it possibly it wasn't just one person involved. Uh, so... <laughs>